There is nothing better than Jesus. Just nothing. I've been around a long time, and I've been walking with him uh, on and off, you know what I mean, for a long time, and there is nothing better than Jesus. One of my favorite songs at the moment, and I go through songs because they come out all the time, and I, I love them, but that's my favorite at the moment. And I think it's a good song for this series of messages on uh, greater than, because he is greater than anything, anyone. Uh, he's the great king. Well, I was asked to teach during this Sunday a while ago, and I said yes, but then they had the boxing thing. <laughs> you know, they, they, I'm an old guy. They had the, you're supposed to hit that bag, and I... I I can't, I can't do that. I won't make it through the message. I surely won't make it through the second service. I mean, no, no doubt about that. So, so I snuck behind Pastor Dave's back and went to Pastor Bob. I figured he's a really young guy. He'll, he'll understand. Well, maybe he won't understand, but maybe he'll bow to me because I'm an old guy. And I said, you know, Pastor, I, I really don't want to do that. He says, you got to do that. I said, I don't want to do that. He said, you know, we give you the pulpit, we give you the microphone, we give you the bag. You got to hit the bag. I said, I don't want to hit the bag. You know, I, I just feel like I'm going to bust the bag if I hit it. I hit it so hard. You'd have to repair the bag or get a new one. I'm not going to do that to you. He said, well, you got it. I said, okay. So I snuck behind his back to Pastor Dave. If you have kids, you know what this works like. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't get it from one, you get it from the other. Or at least you try to. So I went to Pastor Dave and I said, Pastor Dave, I can't hit that bag. I'm going to break it. He said, no, you're not going to break it. I said, you just have no idea. You've never felt my... You know, these five digits when they're folded together like this, very powerful. Uh, he said, no, you got to do it. And I said, I, I don't want to do it. He said, well, if you have something better, you can do that. I said, okay. So what, I'm, what I think is better is, is my press release photo. Go ahead, Craig. <laughs> Isn't that better? That's better than hitting the bag. I mean, really. <laughs> And because it's pandemic time, I fixed it again. Go ahead. <laughs> now we're safe. And Mark D'Augusto, I owe him big time. I really do. <laughs> well, many of you have heard my story, and I, I recognize so many of you, uh, and it's so good to be back, but many of you have heard my story about running out of gas back in 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, something around that period of time. Uh, not in my motorcycle and not in my car, though I could have done that. I, did not, but running out of gas in me. Um, I, I worked myself into a ditch, all, all for good intentions and all for good things, but I worked myself into the ditch. I was always a hard worker. I think I got that in my genes. I surely got it in the nurture of my family because my dad and my mom worked hard always, and so did all my relatives that I knew of, but uh, it was too much for me after a while, the way it was becoming my little god. I guess it's the best way I could call it, my work. Um, I, I changed that when I became a Christian because back in 1966, I'm in Japan, I'm working to be the best airman I could be in the Air Force, and, and uh, I come to the end of myself and I realize I've got to have an answer, and so uh, God has me hooked up with the navigators and I get the message of the gospel, and, and uh, I turn to Jesus and I put my hard work away. I, I had always assumed, I think, that hard work was a way to get to God's pleasure and be a part of his family. But I put that aside because then I began to realize, no, 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 it's trust in Christ. 
as the finished work on Calvary for me. And his resurrection sets me free for fullness of life. And so he'll keep me to the end. I don't, I don't have to work my way to the, to the beginning or the end or any place in between. So I, I, uh, I put hard work aside. And hard work became my love language for God. That's what it was as I look back. It was my love language for God, telling him how much I loved him. I was putting him first. I was going to make the best use of my time and my talents and everything I had. And I was going to serve him with everything I possibly had. I declared my love for him by hard work. Maybe you know what that's like. He was number one in my life, but hard work was number two. But hard work doesn't like to stay in second place. You know what I mean? It wants to be number one. Or, you know, fit it to your own life, not just hard work, but any discipline or any, any, anything that uh, becomes what you rely upon uh, to carry you through life that always always wants to become number one and will do anything it can possibly do to supplant the one who alone deserves to be in number one spot, and that's Jesus the Christ. Praise God, uh, he allowed me to run out of gas before I did any damage to myself or anybody else. I, uh, I didn't go down the road that so many people do when they come to that, I guess you can call it a midlife crisis, I don't know if that fits completely, but uh, I didn't run, I ran out of gas. He said, okay, you're not going to do any harm to yourself or your family or your church or cause of Christ, but you're going to run out of gas, and that's what I did in the beginning of this century, 2001, 2002, something like that. So when I came to our text today, chapter 3 and 4, which uh, the pastors asked me to, to speak from, I was transported right back to those days. I, I went right back to those days when hard work became my Moses, and that's really what it became. It was good. I mean, just like Moses was good. My hard work was good. It was for a good purpose. But it became my Moses. Now, if you've tagged along for the last two messages, you know that uh, Pastor Dave helped us see that uh, we've got to put our angels uh, in its right place below Christ. They can, they can never allow, be allowed to rise up to a place to supplant Jesus. So Jesus has to be number one. And then you can think about other things underneath, but you can never allow what's underneath to move this way so that it becomes number one or that person becomes number one, supplanting the place of Christ because he's so much better than the angels. And that's the message of the book of, of Hebrews at that point in chapter two. Now he says, we must put Moses in his place. Moses is fine, no problem, wonderful, but you can't let him take the place of Jesus in the priority of your life, in the focus of your life. Because Jesus is better. <laughs> Isn't that the message of the book of Hebrews? Going through these different areas and saying, no, Jesus is better. He's just better. He's better than Moses. These two chapters have a flow to them. Let me just describe that, and then we'll, we'll turn to each of those areas. We are called, first of all, to refocus our attention, because that's what's happened. Our attention has been given to the wrong person or things or ideas. He's saying, bring it back so that Jesus is front and center right in front of you, and you've got your eyes on him, and everything else is after him. Then he warns us. He says, see the danger if you don't take this advice, if you don't listen to what I've got to say in, the, in my writings in the book of Hebrews. That's what the author is saying. You see the danger, and you better beware of the danger. And then finally, we must choose to change. So first of all, let's go back to refocus our attention. 
And, and what we find to this in this chapter of chapter 3 is that these folks had started well, just like I did, just like you no doubt have, in terms of knowing Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters. Now, that's code language. I mean, that's, that's a big statement in just those four words, holy brothers and sisters. It means that they have been transformed by the grace of God into God's family. They've become Christians. They've trusted in Christ. So these guys started well. They are the ones who share in the heavenly calling, he says. Fix your eyes on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. That's, that's big language, apostle and high priest. The special messenger of God and the one who represents us before God. He's the high priest for all who trust in him. They were absolutely dependent upon the truth of the gospel as they started out. No doubt about it, no question about it. They were dependent on the grace of God for the pardon of God and the new life that he gave to them. And, and they were depending on him up to a point. They were, they were doing fine. But when they started, it was the good news that captured their hearts. And so Jesus was their savior and their master. That's what the good news is all about, you know. The good news is all about Jesus came to give his life for us so that he might set us free in this life and the next. That's not the small print. That's the headline. That's the whole story. There is no small print. That's it. And that's where they had started out. It's all about Jesus, they said, just as we have said, no doubt. But they've lost focus. You know, if you hold up your hand like this and you look at it, it's really clear that all the digits are defined all the freckles and the other stuff that's there too. But, but if you put another hand out like this, that one is not as clear. But if you switch them and you look at this one, then this one becomes defined. And that other one is not so clear. That's what happened. Pastor Dave talked about drifting. The temptation of drifting. Only happens a little bit of time. Doesn't happen all at once. But the results are disastrous if it is not caught as we drift. So what's happened to these folks is they, were, they had their eyes focused on Jesus, but somehow in the pressure of the day, and they were in pressure, they were, they were countercultural in the most immediate sense, they were persecuted, they were opposed, people made fun of them, they probably lost their jobs, they lost their homes, they, same kind of thing that could happen to us in the 21st century as we, the culture changes and we can't change with all the changes in the culture. So there they are, and now they're in this very difficult time, and they begin to remember Moses. Wasn't he wonderful? And look at what he did with the people of God and how he led them and how good the law was and how the nation was established and people found God in the midst of it. Let's, let's see what Moses has to say. <laughs> the funny thing is that Moses is surely a wonderful man and leader. He's the most significant leader of the Old Testament, I think, anyway. He led the people out of slavery in Egypt. He, he's the one who received the law from God, and he gave it to the people so they could understand how God called them to live. Uh, he, he's the hero of the Older Testament. But even when you come to the Newer Testament, he's still a hero. He's not demoted in any sense. He's a special man. Maybe... Maybe second only to Jesus, of course, but, but to the Apostle Paul. And, and I say that because Moses shows up with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration before Jesus. Two people from the Older Testament, and he's one of them. That's how significant, significant he's considered. 
In fact, as you go through the New Testament, you will frequently find Jesus quoting Moses and referring people back to him and the truth that he stated, which had been so misunderstood by so many people in generations after. But he still points back to him. When you get to Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to find that, that Moses is there of all people. Moses from the Older Testament, the law, yeah, yeah. He's one of the heroes of both the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. He's in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Moses is amazing. But Jesus is better. That's the message. Jesus is better. Go back to chapter 3 and we'll start again with verse 1. Therefore, and the therefore is tying this to what was said that you heard last week from chapter 2. The Son of God who is the high priest, who is the sacrifice for us, who gave his life for us. Therefore, on the basis of all that, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on this one, this Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. And there's an image coming here. He's going to talk about God's house, and he'll develop that as we go forward here. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Moses was faithful in God's house, but Jesus built the house. Who deserves more honor? Well, it's the one who built the house. In fact, we're getting a definition of Jesus being God here. You follow along. Verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. You see, the linkage of the son is God. He built the house, and he's over the house. So he's surely more important than the one who's in the house, Moses. That's the picture he gives him. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Jesus is better. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Jesus is better. But again, I say don't, don't bash Moses. Don't lessen Moses. Don't say Moses is, ah, we don't have to listen to him. He has nothing to say to us today. Don't, don't dismiss his word from the Older Testament and say, well, this is putting him in his place. Well, that's in his place. It's not out of the place. He's not removing him. He's simply trying to get him in his place because Moses was faithful to God. There's, there's no, no question about that, and that's what the writer says here. Moses was wonderful. And, by the way, these are good people. You consider yourself a fairly good person? I, I hope you do, because you're living according to what God wants you to do. You consider yourself a fairly good person? Well, these people were good people. They've made a good start, but times are hard. Persecution has come. If there's ever a temptation to go the other way, it's, it's when we get really wealthy or we get really poor, whether that's money or that's relationships or that's pressure that comes to us. Those extremes are hard to deal with. So, so they're finding it hard to live for Christ here, they're not finding the answers they want, so they go back, well, maybe Moses has it. Because I think these people come from a Jewish background, so it's natural for them to look back to Moses. These are good people. Why is it so easy for them to turn back to Moses? Well, because of who Moses was. He was good. He was a great leader. 
He obeyed God. I know he didn't always. I, I get that. And he didn't make it into the promise. I, I know that. But when you take a look at him like this, you say, oh, man, he's wonderful. So it's natural to go back to Moses. It's also natural to go back to our past if it's been helpful to us and to confuse things in the process. You know, we all have loyalty to the old ways that helped us. I remember time after time during my years of ministry, and still today, I guess, but not as much as when I was in one church here at Millington, uh, I want to talk about Jesus with somebody, and, and that somebody would say, oh, no, 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 no I'm Methodist. Or, no, I'm Presbyterian, or I'm, I'm Roman Catholic. I said, I don't care. I don't care what you come from. I don't, want to, I don't want you to become a Baptist. I just want you to know Jesus. Whether you come to our church, that's a secondary issue. But the old ways, if they've served us well, are very easy to move back to because they've served us well and because they're comfortable. And besides that, we want to do our part. You know, I, I work hard, I get a paycheck. My part is to work hard. My boss's part is to give me a paycheck. That's the way it runs. That's the way it works, isn't it? Friendships. Lots of times you'll find friendships will, will be good as long as you do your part. But if something happens you can't do your part, then the other person, depending on the depth of their friendship, will say, ah, I'm not going to see him anymore or her anymore. Yeah, you've, you've had that happen. Because that's the way it works in the world. And so we think, oh, I'll go back to Moses. I'll go back to Moses. Yeah, I can do my part when it comes to Moses. I can... I can take care of the food requirements. I can wear the right clothing. I can, I can go to the temple. I can, well, the temple's probably not there at this point. Uh, I can do all the things that the law requires except for perhaps the temple if it's gone by this time. I'll do my part. And besides that, it's hard to change. It's really hard to change. Easy to get set in our ways and hard to change. I believe we all have our Moses. Every single one of us, and we may not be depending on him right now, but that's the one that we go back to if the hard times come and something isn't working right in terms of our relationship with God. The prayers are not being answered. The, the pressure is continuing to come upon us. Then it's very easy to go back to our Moses, even for the right reasons. It's very easy to go back. So I ask you, who is your Moses? Or, or it could be, what is your Moses? Maybe not a person. In fact, when it came to these people, it was uh, a who and a what. It was who Moses and what he taught, the law. And so it's both in that sense. But I think you probably have your Moses that you naturally go back to because that's comfortable and it's brought some pressure off of you in the past and it's good. Maybe it's from your former faith. Now, it may not be in a Christian denomination, nor it might be. It's something you depended upon and you felt pretty good about yourself and you felt like I was doing the things that God called me to do and, and, and I'm okay, things are okay, you know? So I go back there because that's the place where I'm comfortable and that's worked before. Or it could be your counselor who's been so helpful to you or, or some self-help book that you've really found, man, this really helps me get out of that rut and I can do these things and I can go to this person and they can feed stuff into me and, and I, I'm okay then. Or maybe your Moses is your efforts to serve the Lord more effectively. That's what mine were. That's what mine was. It was, I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to get the job done, and people are going to be reached, and the church is going to be strong, and, and I'm going to be an example in my home and in the church, and I'm going to... Oh, man, I got tired. Because I was depending on my Moses. 
could be the teaching of your college professor. If you're in school right now, you're going to find a lot of pressure going the other way. And you're going to have to make your decisions. Who am I going to depend upon for what I need for day-to-day walking with God? Maybe it's discipline, and maybe it's harder work. I don't know. We don't all turn to drugs and drinking when we want our Moses, because our Moses might be something in and of itself that's very good. We all say, oh, no, you can't go to drugs, drugs and drinking. But, but what about hard work, overwork? What, what, what about that? Oh, yeah, that, that's what... That's what I ended up with. I didn't go to drugs. I didn't go to drinking. I didn't go to other people. I, I just worked harder. And I came away from that saying, that's natural. Because hard work was applauded. Uh, I can remember, <laughs> I can remember one of the guys who was here this morning and remembered saying this to me. <laughs> it, funny what you remember after the years go by, but I, as I was studying for this message, I, I saw this, uh, uh, I remember this guy coming to me and saying to me, you know what I like about you? You know what I really appreciate about you? And, and I said, no, what? And he said, when I go by here at 7.15 in the morning to get the train, your car is already here. And I was so proud. I said, yeah, isn't that wonderful? What would have happened if I had spent 45 minutes with Jesus and then come to work. Yeah. But that was my Moses. He was really good. And people applauded him in a good sense. You see, what we forget is we forget that no one, nothing is greater than him. And again, I say it, Jesus is better. (laughs) That's it. Jesus is better. So, So don't destroy your Moses if your Moses is good like mine was, but put it underneath Jesus. He creeps up to get on top of Jesus and becomes more important than Jesus. you got to shove him down and get him down below Jesus so Jesus is on the top. And then all the other good things, they can have their place in below, but they can't take the place of Jesus. Well, let's put Moses in in his place, but... That takes us to the next section of this passage, and that is to the warning, and that warning is see the danger in getting that wrong. And, and boy, he spends the greater part of chapters 3 and 4 with the danger that exists if we don't get this straight. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 4, 10. And what he uses is the people of Israel as the example here, and that makes sense because he's talking about Moses. But he's looking back more than likely to that day when the people of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt and now they were on their way and they were down in this lower section of of, uh, Kadesh Barnea and they could have gone straight to the north into the land of Canaan and they'd have the land. So they sent out the spies and the spies went out and 10 came back and says, we can't possibly do this. This is crazy. They're mammoth people up there. We can't beat them. Two guys come back and they say, oh yeah, we can. If the Lord is with us, we can take care of this. Don't worry about it. We'll go. We'll take care of this. Because God will go with us and he'll give us victory. But the people had a Wednesday night business meeting and they all voted, no, we're not going. (laughs) It's easier to say no than it is to say yes because if you say no, you've always got another chance to say yes. (laughs) So the default is to say no. And they said no. And I tell you, they lived through judgments and pain and defeat. They, they walked for 40 years in the wilderness. They, 
They lost an entire generation of people because they wouldn't say yes to God when he called them to do this simple thing. Not a simple thing in one sense, but a simple thing if God was with them. They could have done it, but they disobeyed and they refused to believe God, believe that God would make them, more, make them victorious, and so they disobeyed. But I, I guess I've seen this before, but I saw it again as I studied for this message, and that is that... that uh, the issue is not disobedience, first of all. The issue is disobedience, I get that. But the issue is not disobedience, for, first of all. The issue is the misplaced affections of my heart. That's where it starts. And if drifting is going to take place, it's going to be in here, in my heart, in the misplaced affections, so that Jesus is no longer the one that I adore and I love and I communicate with and I listen to and I put on that throne that only he deserves to be on. My Moses gets there. So their Moses got in that spot, and their hearts began to drift. Remember that word? Drift. A little bit at a time, not all at once. Their hearts began to drift, and then the disobedience followed after that. Chapter 3, verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your, what is it? Chapter 3 and chapter 4, the word heart or hearts comes up six times. This is a big deal. This is a crucial to the subject of, that we're looking at today. The heart. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me through, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now when I use the word heart here, I'm using it not in, a, not in a way that we use it sometimes to talk about affections and emotions and things like that. It's not that. In the Bible, it is the real me. The heart is the real me. It encapsulates everything. It's not the opposite of, of thinking, you know? Sometimes we, we say, oh, it's either the heart or the head. No, you can say that at times. But when we talk about the heart in this sense, this is all me. This is the inside of me. And what is on the inside of me inevitably finds its way out so it can be seen. But it starts on the inside. It comes out on the outside. And we bring shame to other people and to ourselves or we work ourselves to death. It starts on the inside. It's my affections. I'm talking about the focus of my heart. If you've ever been in love with a... Uh, uh, someone of the opposite sex, then you know what I'm talking about. You walk around. When I, when I used to counsel couples getting married, they were about this far off the floor. I could never talk to them about real life because they just couldn't get it for three to six months. And, and then they began to say, oh, wait a minute. What did you say about this or that? Yeah, then they saw. Yeah, because, you know, the affections are that way. They kind of deceive us. Now, now, what I'm talking about here in terms of the affections is my, my whole person whether or not Jesus is number one for me, whether he captures my heart, it's what I care most about. It's who I am on the inside, and that finds its way on the outside. I remember too well those days when I was busy, 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 too busy to give him my affections. My Bible was my source book. I loved my Bible. I never turned against it. I never doubted it. I didn't always apply it, I guess, but I was there. This was my book, but but my book, uh, 
became my book for messages and Bible studies and word studies and all the other things that we're taught to do and when we go to cemetery, or, uh, seminary, I mean. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what happens, and so you forget. I was, not, I was not opening the Bible for a word from my Savior to me. I, I was not... I was not looking in my Bible to see how he has romanced me and how he simply wants me to romance him. I just wasn't looking for that because that didn't get messages done and that didn't get Bible studies done and that didn't cause the church to grow or at least I didn't think it did. So that wasn't uppermost for me. My prayers, my prayers were for good things, believe me. I was, I was out for the right things. I was focused on the right things. I, I wanted the right things to happen. And so I was praying for the right things, but I wasn't praying in a way that gave him the opening into my heart. And I didn't even know that I wasn't, but I wasn't as I look back on it. My praise and my worship was a warm-up to what I needed to learn or do. So let's get this song part over so that I can preach or that I can hear somebody else teach and then, then I'll get what I need from the Bible and it'll tell me more of what I need to do, more of what I need to think and more of what I need to communicate for other people to do. Please don't, please don't minimize the danger. Please don't think that's just somebody else. No, I'm here from, I've been here a long time and that, that, we do not escape that with years of walking with Christ. Moses is always knocking at the door. For Israel, it meant repeated acts of disobedience and judgments that followed. It meant 40 years in the wilderness. It meant lots of pain and lots of loss. It meant no rest for the people of God. Chapter 3, verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. My friends, feel the pain. I know I read it quickly, but, but feel the pain. Feel the disappointment. Feel the loss. Feel the suffering. Feel the grief that goes on here. For us, it, is, uh, it likewise leads to more disobedience and more pain and more loss and more Suffering for us and for those around us. And it starts with what I call misplaced affections. Not intentionally, but we begin to drift because our affections get moved from Jesus to, to these other things, which, I say it again, in and of themselves, they're fine. They're good. If kept in their place. We've been embarrassed as a Christian movement by an apologist uh, who for years would appear on college campuses and I watched him on YouTube and I'd read his books and I'd quote him. I'll never quote him again in my life because of what he did to women. And all of a sudden after he's dead, we find out that he was living two lives. I got to thinking, how can anybody so steeped in the scriptures, how can anybody who knows so many of the answers do that? I mean, what would cause somebody to do that and to live a lie? And you know, as I study in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews, I came to the conclusion it's because he was working from his head and his heart was disconnected. He had all the answers, he had all the arguments. He knew them all. He was spectacular 
But his affections were misplaced. His affections were placed on the answers from the Bible. His affections were placed on the right theology. His affections were placed on on getting the right answers. His affections were placed on on building a a ministry. His affections were, they were all good things. That's, That's the really weird part about this. They're all good things. But they're not enough. None of those things are wrong. But they cannot become the center of my affections. Only Jesus can occupy the place of my affections, at the focus of my affections. And anything else becomes disaster. If anything kept me out of trouble during the troubled times in the early part of uh, 2000s, it was the Holy Spirit healing my emotions and bringing me to a place where I could weep before God, where my affections for Jesus could be stated. And I came to an awareness of his affections for me. Man, I think it was during that time that I got a coin out and I thought, and I guess I've shown this to you, but I've given this to a whole bunch of young pastors because it's so easy to miss this. The danger, if my affections are placed in the wrong spot, the head is, if I fall, my family falls with me. Tails, if I fall, my church falls with me circumference of the coin, if I fall, a world that's waiting to see a man of God walking in humility and sincerity and truth, it goes with me. And isn't that what's happened with our apologist and what he did? So I bring a reminder because I want to I want to know the danger. I don't want to minimize the danger and I urge you don't minimize the danger, but choose to change. And if we're going to change, the writer of the chapters three and four gives us three ways we need to change. One is to step up. The first two of these are not nearly as important as the last one. Let me tell you about them because he includes them. We need to step up. Hebrews chapter four, verse 11. He writes, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. You know what every effort means? It means every effort. That's what it means. No stone unturned. No area of life kept hidden. All of it out there before the living God and before other people in an appropriate way. You say, wait a minute, I I thought salvation was by grace through faith. And I say, of course it is. There's no other way we could possibly get it. But real faith brings real change. And if there's no change in my life, then I have reason to question whether there was real faith to begin with. And if I have a long period of time in which there's no change in my life and nothing happening from God, then I've got to go back and say, wait a minute, did I really make a decision for Christ or was that what my pastor wanted or my mom or dad or my sister or my aunt or somebody else and it wasn't me and I need to set it straight from there. Yeah, real faith is going to bring real change. Here's how I say it. This is not the best maybe, but I say you will not lose what you have truly received, but remember your life must reflect it. It's just that, you know. You're not going to lose it if it's real, if you've really received it. You go through your ups and downs. I get that. It's not always up. I get that. There's some like this, but you're, you're, you're tacking up. That's what you're doing. You're, you're making it further along the way. Not perfectly, not all the time, but, but you're making it further along the way. So that where you started is down here. Where you are now better be someplace along the line higher. By the time I get to be my age, it better be really progressing because I'm going to do a lot of damage if it hasn't. So yeah, you're saved by grace through faith. 
Secondly, uh, besides this idea, uh, we need to step up. The writer says we need help. If we're going to do this, we've got to have help. Look at Hebrews 3, verse 13. He writes to them, he says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And the hardening there refers to the heart. That's where hardening takes place. That's what it always says in the scriptures. My heart gets hardened. And if I'm going to reverse that and keep that from happening, I've got to be encouraged. I've got to be held to account. I've got to be responsible. New Testament doesn't know anything about isolated Christians. New Testament always has this underlying theology that says, no, we're part of a family, we're part of a team, we're part of a group, I'm, I'm corrected by my family, I'm encouraged by my family, I serve my family, my family serves me, and together, because we are united in Christ, we reach out to a world that is desperate for that kind of life. <laughs> so I've got to have help. The, the, the Bible doesn't know anything about me not having help. And I get it from a bunch of different sources. You know, I've gone to a counselor, and the counselor's a Christian, and he helped me work through these things so I could find out what was going on in my life. So I might get that, that, uh, that help from a counselor. I might get it from, from my spouse, from my friends, from, from the person who sits next to me every Sunday in, in church, a uh, small group, uh, adult ed class, uh, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody that you can trust of the same sex. Uh, I get it from a whole bunch of people. But that's not enough. He says, step up. And he says, get help. But he's got something even bigger than that and much more important. And I guess really a part of the first two, but much more important. We need to hear from him. We need to hear from God. And yes, we'll hear from him through a counselor or a friend or a Christian group and all that kind of thing. I, I get that. I understand that. But I'm telling you, that's not enough. There's something else on our writer's mind here. He has something else in mind here besides just being together and encouraging each other and, and reading God's Word to each other and teaching it and all that. He's got something deeper here. We need to hear from him personally when he speaks to us. Not us, us together, but when he speaks to me. That might be in a service like this, but I have a feeling it's frequently when I'm alone with him. Chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he ends this portion with, with these words. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I've known those, that passage for a long time. I mean, I've seen it on plaques. I probably preached on it. I don't know. But I always thought that, that when I preach or when I declare God's word, he's going to use that in people's lives. <laughs> Isn't that deceitful? And that's true. But that's not the purpose of putting it here by the writer of the book of Hebrews. The purpose of the writer of the book of Hebrews here, because of the context, says, no, this is for me. He's going to sort out the stuff in my life as I come to him in his word. This is not, first of all, about evangelism. This is, first of all, about my heart. He's going to divide the stuff in me as I reflect on his word and I ask him to do it. And I bow before him in quietness. He's going to find the divided loyalties. He's going to find my independent spirit. He's going to 
see my pride and pointed out he's going to see my hard working to try to move him out of the first place. He's going to see my Moses. He's going to see and reveal to me whatever has my affections if they've been misplaced. And it's going to come as I am in his word. So, brothers and sisters, what I need to do is get quiet before him. What I, what I need to do is I need to take my, my Bible and bow low before him, not to gain more information, not to get more, more bullets that I can shoot at somebody who doesn't agree with me, not to learn all the apologetics. I need that. I need, I need all that. I need to learn from God's word. I get that. I understand that. But when he's talking here, he's talking about me and, and the divided loyalties of my heart and the Moses who pushes Jesus out of the way in my affections. That's what he's talking about. I never saw it before until I studied for this morning. It's my affections. And I... Don't be deceived. I was also reminded by God this week that even when I step up, even when I get help, even, even when I listen for his voice, I can even do that as my Moses and it can become my efforts. <laughs> it's so deceitful. But I'll tell you what, if I go before him and out of a purity of heart, knowing my brokenness and knowing my deceitfulness and knowing how I I, I blow it. If, if I go before him like that, then he's going to open my heart and he's going to reveal the Moses so I can deal with it by his power. So my prayer when I come to his word, especially during these times when I'm intently listening for him to speak to me, my prayer comes from the psalm. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Reveal my Moses and lead me in the way everlasting. And I do that timidly because I never know what he's going to reveal. But I do it with hunger because there's no one better than him. Nobody, no thing is better with him than him. And when I get a hold of him, and he gets a hold of me, and he has the, the priority in my life, and he is my sweet, affectionate Lord, oh, then life gets right, no matter what the circumstances. So I go back again, and I say, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And God does work. And God touches my heart. And God draws me back. And then anything I do for him becomes my love, my statement of love and affection for him. And Jesus is better, so he's on top. And everything else goes beneath it. Focus on that passage for a moment on the screen, if you would. The worship team's going to come up and close with a song, but as, they, uh, as we do that and as they come up and prepare to uh, lead us in one more song, it's an old song with a new sound. 
Oh boy, it's a good song for us to consider during this time as we, as we wait on him. We say, oh God, I know I've got my Moses, but I don't want my Moses to be number one. I want you to be number one. And I'll get my Moses down where he belongs to be. He's good. I don't want him on top. So as you consider those ideas, let's pray together, please, as the worship team is ready to lead us. Living God, you are, <laughs> you, you are the one who never, you, you persist. You just don't let go. You don't let go of us once we come to faith in Christ. You're, you're not a father who says, oh, I'll go do whatever you want. You never say that, Lord. You're always waiting at the door, waiting for your children to come home like the prodigal son and his father. You're, you're always waiting for us. You're always, you're always reaching out to us in a variety of ways. And Lord, when we finally when we finally get so tired out from our running and chasing after our Moses, you say, here I am, come on back, get me in the right place, Lord. And so I pray for my, my brothers and sisters that indeed they might find themselves getting in the right place because they're getting you in the right place, acknowledging that you are better than they have ever counted on before and, and you will carry them through. So Lord, take us to that land where we say, yes, Lord, and we find our rest because we have repeated once again the knowledge that Jesus is better and he's in number one place. For we pray in the matchless name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. <laughs>